you can have a seat. And don't go too far because I'm going to need your help again in just a few minutes, all right? So, well, they picked up on that really quick. That was great, wasn't it? We are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13 if you want to get a head start there. And you can uh, turn your Bible or turn whatever you happen to have. Thanks, guys. When I was a kid, I liked pretty much every holiday. And every holiday was like, especially during school time, was pretty fun. The, the one bummer was like my, I had a summer birthday. You remember when a kid you took... I don't know if they still do this. You took cookies or brownies or whatever it was to school. Still do that at school? I don't know, but, but I had a summer birthday, so I was always sad. I'm not sure my mom was, but I was always sad that I didn't get to take any treats to school for my birthday. But I always enjoyed all the different holidays that we celebrate at school, with the exception of one. There was one holiday that I just dreaded every time it came around on the calendar. Maybe you're guessing, maybe you're ahead of me on this. It was Valentine's Day. Like, you know, when you went to school on Valentine's Day, you had to get those little little cards, and then you had to pass them out to everybody in your class. And I just, like, thought it was kind of weird, like, you know, like giving it to my, you know, my, my buddy Bill, you know, like, be my Valentine. It, I don't know, that just didn't work for me. And then there was, like, you know, this girl over here, like Amy, well, I was afraid if I gave something like that to her, well, she might get the wrong idea and think I was really interested. And I mean, I was in second grade. I wasn't really into a, a big relationship. And I can just remember going to the store with my mom. And I didn't really care what was on, like, like the, the theme of it. You know, I didn't really care if it was a Scooby-Doo or, or Hot Wheels or whatever. All I cared about is what the cards actually said. So I was looking, looking for cards that said something like really deep, like, hey... That worked for me, or like, hey, you know, what's, what's going on? Or, you know, be cool. Those were the kind of cards that I was looking like. Like if it said, you know, like, I'm sweet on you, or you're the one, or that was just not going to happen. So sometimes we had to buy like multiple boxes because there were only like two or three cards that were actually usable in those boxes, and the rest of them would go away. But that was just, that was just my thing growing up. Like Valentine's Day, was, I wasn't very good at it. But have you ever noticed this? When you get to you know, like Valentine's Day, what, what do we bring out a lot of times? We bring out like poems. And, and maybe you did this. And maybe I, I, like when you were dating like your mate, did, did you ever try like writing a, a love poem or a romantic poem or, or whatever else like that? Okay, we're not in a very romantic room here. So, which maybe is good, okay? So, um, I was going to ask everybody who had if you could come up and read what you've written. Not, not really. Yeah, so um, anyway, what I was thinking about that, though, is like after you get married, okay, for that one person who wrote that love poem, have you written any since you've been married? No, I didn't think so, okay? You know, once you got the guy or once you got the girl, you just put the pen away and, or the typewriter or whatever it is that you're using, and then you don't write anymore because you can always go to the store and you can always buy a card, Right? And those cards have those great sentimental messages that were written by the same people who wrote those little kid cards back in second grade. And they sound about the same, but you know, you can write your own note at the bottom and somehow that helps it out. The greatest love poems have ever all start the same way. Have you noticed that too? They start this way. Roses are red, violets are blue. And then it goes on from there, like sugar is sweet and so are you. I, first of all, I have a question. Are violets really blue or are they violet? Because, yeah, I would call it, you know, roses are red, violets are violet. That would make sense to me. My favorite uh, roses are red, violets are blue poem goes like this. So roses are red, violets are blue. Some poems rhyme, but this one doesn't. 
All right, we're going to look at a love poem in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Most of you probably didn't realize that this is a poem, and, and maybe it's stretching a little bit to say that it's a poem, but actually, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth that's having some problems, and he's kind of writing along in, in general letter format, and all of a sudden he stops and he kind of breaks into this different kind of syntax or form or, or format because he's trying to really draw attention to something. And it's a poem, actually, about love. And so the church, as I mentioned, had a lot of different problems going on. We're going to get these, uh, to these in a minute. But Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is talking about the issue of spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts, and I suppose if you went through it, the number of spiritual gifts that are laid out in the Bible, there's, I don't know, a dozen, 16, something like that, depending on how you count them. And there are, there are things like the gifts of mercy and the gifts of teaching and the gifts of generosity. And there's all these different gifts that are part of, of the spiritual gifts. And the Corinthian church was really into these gifts. And so they were really like, you know, what is your gift? What is your gift? But it wasn't quite like that. They were into the gifts that were like the most visible, that everybody would notice. And so like one of the gifts that they were really into was the gifts of tongues. Because if, if you did this tongues thing, everybody's like, oh, whoa, what's that going on there? And they're looking at you and everybody's paying attention to you. Another gift that they were really into was like this prophecy thing. And the idea would be like, I'm getting this message from God. And so I just all of a sudden feel it stand up and start sharing it with you. And Everybody out in the crowd is like, wow, that's really cool. How's that happening? And so they were into that. You know, gifts like healing. How cool would that be if somebody walked up and you could just say, okay, you're all better now. And so they were all, in, and they were kind of actually fighting over these. Not in like, you know, like there's different ones that you can grab. It's just like that they were measuring themselves by the gifts that they had. So if you had these gifts that everybody could see, that meant that you were really important in the church. Everybody like going, whoa, check that out. And so there's a lot of battling that's going on in this church, and there's a lot of friction, and there's a lot of fighting, and there's a lot of disunity. And Paul is saying, whoa, 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 time out. You guys are missing the point here. And that's what's going on in chapter 12. Well, you get to chapter 13, and he totally shifts gears, kind of. But what he does is he switches, and he starts talking about this love. Now, he's not talking about romantic love, unfortunately. And yet, I think you can use it romantically. He's not talking about husbands and wives here. He's not talking about families and kids and parents. He's talking about a different kind of love, even though we use this passage a lot, like in, in, in weddings. And you can certainly apply it there, but that was not the context in which he is writing here. He's writing about, hey, church, here's how to get along, and here's how to really focus on what's most important. And so join with me looking. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. So I want to back up one verse before we jump into chapter 13 here. And Paul says this. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. What does he mean there? He says, hey, there's all these gifts. Some of them are like the upfront gifts that everybody notices. And some of them are the gifts that nobody sees, but they're just as important or maybe even more important. So if you're going to really be into the gifts, choose the ones that aren't showy. Choose the ones that aren't up in front of everybody and demonstrate. Choose the ones that are just quiet and make a difference. And then he goes on and he says... Desire the greatest gifts, and you know what? 
I'll just show you the more excellent way. In fact, there's something even better than that, and that's when he starts into 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I am only drawing attention to myself. I'm making a lot of noise, but there's not much of a tune. And actually, I just become annoying to everybody around me. And so he's saying, hey, if you have all these gifts but you don't have love, that just drives everybody crazy. If, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, that's pretty big faith, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. And so he says, hey, there's all these gifts that you might have, but if you don't have love, you might as well take the gifts and throw them out the door because they really don't mean anything and they really don't have the impact that they're supposed to have. We need to have love. And that's when Paul shifts into this more poetic format and he says this. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. always hopes. always perseveres. Love never fails. And so he drops this poem right in there, and he keeps going. He says, but where there are prophecies... They will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness has come, or when we get to that next life, heaven, that which is in part disappears. Now, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man or an adult, I put away the, the things of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And Paul is saying, hey, let's be less worried about these gifts. And he's, and he's not like totally just discarding them or disregarding them, because he comes back to it in chapter 14. But he's saying, how about if we focus here on this idea of love? And what he does in this passage is three things. He tells us, first of all, why love is better. He tells us, secondly, what love looks like. And then he thirdly tells us how love acts, or I would say it this way, how love actually shows itself or manifests itself or, or displays itself. Well, I want to throw a picture up here before I go any further. Maybe you've seen something like this before. This is a love meter. If you go into the old penny arcades, does this look familiar? There's a handle down there at the bottom, and you squeeze the handle, and then it, it shows how romantic you are, all the way from poor fish at the bottom, you know, to harmless. Whoever chose this one was at wild, and you can go all the way to, to hot stuff. When, when I was on my honeymoon with my wife, we ran into one of these, and so we had to try it, of course. I think I spent like 16 bucks, but I finally got the top one. I had to convince myself of that. Well, here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to, to go back through this poem, and it's like you're squeezing the handle on that machine to see how high you go up the love meter as we look through these characteristics of love. 
So, first of all, why is love better and what is it better than? Well, love is better than spiritual gifts. And we've talked about the context here. But when, when we look at spirituality, spirituality is not defined by how gifted you are by the Spirit as much as it is defined by how much love is demonstrated, uh, again, through the Holy Spirit, though. But it's better than spiritual gifts, but why is it better? It's better for several reasons. First of all, it's better because it makes more of a difference. And that's what Paul is saying here. Hey, gifts are good and they help, but you know what will help more? Just love somebody. And sometimes we get like, I don't know what my gift is. That's fine. How about if you just, do you see anybody who could, need, could use a little love? Well, go love that person because that will have more of a difference in that person's life. It's better, secondly, because it requires humility and selflessness. When I love somebody, I'm not about me. I'm about that person. The problem with these gifts is they were making it all about themselves. And Paul said, no, 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 you're missing it. How about if you live your life about other people? And really, that's the purpose of gifts, by the way, too, is to be used for the benefit of others, not for ourselves. But love requires humility and selfishness. Thirdly, this is the best, I think. Love's available to anyone. Like, not everybody's going to be a teacher, not everybody maybe will have the gift of, like, administration or leadership. And maybe not everybody, ha- you know, has this gift over here of, of helps or mercy. But everybody can love. And so it's, like, free to everybody. You know, like, we don't, have to, we don't have to say, like, I want to sign up for this one or this one or this one. It's just, like, everybody gets it. And everybody has the opportunity and the, the ability to love. And then thirdly, or, or excuse me, fourthly, love is better because it has permanence. And that's what Paul said. Hey, these gifts things are eventually going to go away. Someday in eternity, we aren't even going to need them. But love will still be there. Love will still be present. I don't think we actually think about that sometimes. One of the great things about heaven, one of the great things about eternity, is the fact that all of the junk that messes up our relationships will be gone. And one of the joys of heaven will be the relationships that we have with each other when we have removed self from the picture and replaced it with love. And this is what Paul's saying, hey, you want to have a little bit of eternity now? Let's, let's tune into this love idea. And that's all, I, that's all great, but we have to understand what love is. And so what we want to do here is work through this list, this poem that Paul gave us, of what love is and what love isn't. And I'm going to get the kids to help me out a little bit. So the first thing that love is, is patient. Uh, Gabriel, did I say it? Come on up. Can you help me out? All right. Okay, Isabella, come on up. You, you get all started here, okay? Well, that's not anything. Let's try that again. There you go. Love is... I'm going to hand this to you in a minute. Okay, there we go. If you'll be patient. All right, there we go. Love is patient. I'm going to put you all the way at this end, okay? Right there. Stand right there. Smile real big. Okay. Oh, just kidding. All right, love is patient. What does that mean that love is patient? Well, we kind of think about, you know, patient as being like I, I wait patiently without getting upset or whatever. That's not really what this means. Love is patient is talking about more, sometimes a word that's used like in the old King James was love is long-suffering. But what it means to be patient is that in a relationship where I love somebody, I can put up with a little bit. I can suffer a little bit for the benefit of the relationship 
Or we could say it this way, it allows for the imperfections of others. You know, most of us, we, we want to be loved regardless and, uh, you know, with no conditions. Well, that's what this is. It says, you know what, love loves without conditions. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, if something comes up that you don't deal with it. But it means that we give a little bit of grace and we give a little bit of space. We absorb a blow or two if we have to. We have reasonable expectations. Again, it's not permissiveness, but it's just saying, you know what? I can let you be you a little bit, and, and you don't have to be perfect. And I can, I can lower the expectations just a little bit there. If we ought to deal with it, we'll deal with it. But we can deal with it with this thing like, you know what? I'm not expecting perfection. All right, Altera, can you help me out? This is the next one here. This is love is kind. Now, if you're wondering what this word kind means, it means kind. All right? Yeah, patient and kind. And, and you could use the words gentle, or you could use the word courteous, or you could use the word polite. It rides easy. It's good-natured. And even if there's a conflict or something going on, it stays calm, and it stays nice, and it stays friendly, and it stays warm, and it stays loving. Because that's what love is. Love is kind. And if you can't be kind in a situation, then you're not being loving in a situation. All right. Then Paul does something interesting here. He shifts to the negative. All of the things that love is not. So are you ready? Can you help me out? And I'm forgetting your name. I'm sorry. Help me out. Come on up and remind me of your name. Samantha. Okay, Samantha Maxfield. Did I get half of it? Okay, over here. Can you help me out, Samantha? We're going to put you over here because you're on the not side, all right? You just hold that right there. All right. So are you guys getting tired? If you get tired, you can sit down, but I think you'll be okay. All right, here we go. Not envious. What does it mean to not be envious? Well, envy is when I want something that somebody else has, or sometimes, like, I don't want them to have something. But not being envious, the positive that is really is like when somebody else gets something good, I'm glad for them. So I actually, I celebrate the blessings of others. And the things that they have, instead of me saying, oh, I wish I had that, I can say, boy, I'm so glad that person has that. Now, we tend to think of that in, in terms of things. Well, you've got a nice house. Okay, I'll be glad for you that you have a nice house. But maybe it's that you got a job, or maybe it's that you got this opportunity, or maybe it's like you have this talent, or, or, or maybe there's all these different things, or maybe this is family that you grew up in. Instead of saying, boy, I wish I had that, it's like, you know what, I am so glad that you've been able to experience that and have that. That's what it means to not be envious. It means to celebrate the blessings of others. All right, Kara, come on up here. Tail. We're going to put you on this side too, okay? Next to Samantha here. Is not boastful. Now, most of us aren't really boastful straight up. You know, I don't usually walk up to people and say, you know what, I'm a great guy. And, and, or I don't say, hey, you know what, after the, after the sermon on Sunday, hey, let's give it up for me. You know, most of us aren't like that. But most of us have sneaky ways that we that we get ourselves into the picture and we get ourselves a little bit of extra attention. Sometimes it's just like the criticism. You know what? If I were in charge, I'd do it this way. Well, what are you saying? Hey, everybody, 
guess who has the right way to do it? And we have little sneaky things that we sneak into our conversations like that. So we don't walk around going, hey, I'm great. But what we do is we sneak in little words here and there or little things that are designed to make us the hero. And so what we're saying here is love does not need to be the hero. It doesn't need attention. It doesn't need uh, applause. It doesn't need to make itself look good. The King James says it doesn't vaunt itself. It doesn't throw itself out there in front of everybody. It's not about the image. It's just simply quiet. It sees a need and goes about meeting it, and nobody has to know, and you don't have to pat yourself on the back. You just do what needs to be done. All right, next. Who do I have next? Come on up. And you're going to have to give me a name because I don't know it yet. Raisin. Did I get it right? Ray Lynn. Okay. I'm going to put you over here too, okay, Ray Lynn? Can you help me out? It's kind of like the price is right, isn't it? You know, we got all my, all my assistants up here or something like that. So the next one is love is not proud or love is not puffed up. I think it says in the King James. But the idea is it's not filled up or inflated with itself. If you are the most important person in your relationship, your relationships will be bad. Guaranteed. But sometimes we're like, well, I'm not about me. Well, except when we really stop and think about it, yeah, we're an awful lot about ourselves sometimes. It needs to be my way, or I need to be right, or, or you know, have you stopped and consider me in this situation? But love says, you know what, I'm not going to make it about me. In fact, I'm not going to make it about me because of, I'm aware of just who I am, what my shortcomings are, the fact that I'm not all that. And so we have that there, love is not proud. Next one, come on up. Who's coming? And help me with a name. Ronnie. 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 Did I get that right? Okay, we're going to put you over there too, all right? Because we're still in the knots. <clears throat> and we're going to say not this honoring of others. In the, in the King James says it doesn't behave itself unseemly. But the idea here is that love is appropriate. It respects others and, and, it, and it is careful not to offend others. It's sensitive to other people, uh, even though what their preferences might happen to be. But it's sensitive, well-mannered, discreet, delicate, versus edgy or crude or whatever. It, it doesn't dishonor. It treats people, even in the middle of a, of a tense situation, with honor and to make sure that they feel valued. All right, we've got, one, we've got another, self, uh, another not one here. You're going to help me out here? Brooklyn, right? Okay. Feel a little better there. You're all the way at the end, okay? We're still on the knots. Not self-seeking. Seeks not himself. He puts others first. This is the person who takes the loss if he needs to take the loss. That's what parenting does, right? Parenting is where we realize that I love myself an awful lot, and all of a sudden there's like one cookie left, and it's me and my kid. And all of a sudden I give it to my kid, and I take the loss. It's where I, like, I'm finally starting to understand what love is about. This is what love is. If it's you and me and one of us has to take the loss, I take the loss, okay? If, if, it's going, you know, if it's going to Chipotle or if it's going to Arby's, okay, I don't know which the loss is for you, but whatever, yeah, okay? We take the loss there. It's not self-seeking. It asks what is best for the other person. All right, do I have another person? Okay. Come on up here. 
you're on that side too. So, all right. I'm going to give you two, okay? Can you handle two? Yeah, okay. So start with that one, and then we'll get to this one, okay? Here's what this is, okay? Love is not easily angered. Love responds instead of reacts, right? It's not quick to temper. Literally here, the word means sharp. Love is not sharp. Or you can say love is not testy or prickly or short or edgy. It's like, okay, it doesn't, you know, like, what do you mean by that? It doesn't react in that way. It stays calm and it listens and it doesn't get easily angered. And then we can add your next one there, Eli. That's your next one? Okay, and it doesn't keep record of wrongs. It's not aware of the score. In the King James Version, it says, thinks no evil, but the idea here is it always assumes the best. Always assumes the best. Thanks, Mom. Just get, get him helped out there. Okay, so he's doing a great job, right? So um, just a little love going on here, parent and child, that you're all missing out on. But uh, love lets go and moves on. It doesn't scoreboard. You know, what's in the past is in the past. And I just let go about it. And if we've dealt with it, we've dealt with it. And we choose not to deal with it. We don't keep carrying it around and pulling it out when it becomes opportune. So it's not like, you know what? Um, Something happens here and I say nothing. Something happens here. I say nothing. Something happens here and I say nothing. And something happens here. And now I'm like, well, you know, back then and back then and back then and back then. You always, love does not do that. It's not aware of the score. It's just like, okay, when that's done, we move on. This is something like, this isn't necessarily about marriage. This is a great rule for marriage, though. When you dealt with it, you put it away, and you don't keep a score. And you don't use it, you don't keep score this way. Well, you did this, so that gives me a free point over here, so I can do this. You know, you didn't do this, so I'm not going to do this. Okay, it doesn't try to level things out is what it's talking about. So, then we finally switch back to the positives, okay? So, come on up here, next one, who's ever I got. Okay, this one is, it says, does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Tell me your name, buddy. John, right? I remembered it right before you said it. Jonathan. Okay, so, does not delight, but rejoices in the truth. This is two sides of the same coin. And what this actually is meaning is, it doesn't rejoice when something goes wrong for a person. Like, oh, he finally got what he has coming. Instead, it rejoices in the truth. It, it celebrates the good again. And it's that idea. It cheers for and not against. Next one. Are you going to help me out? Gabriel. All right. Here we go. It's protective. The word actually means covers. And the idea is what's between you stays between you and it doesn't get broadcast to everybody. So I protect you from the judgment of everybody else. It keeps things where they need to be kept. And sometimes it's like we got an issue and we have to go share it with the next person and share it with the next person and get somebody else on our side. And what do you think about this? It doesn't do that. It says, you know what? We're going to protect our relationship and I'm going to protect you in this relationship by keeping it right where it needs to be. All right. I didn't forget about you. Okay, and I'm forgetting your name too. Sorry. Alex. Alex. There we go. Alex, okay. Alex is trusting. 
This is not, this is the idea of believing the best about somebody. Now, trust in a relationship can be violated, and when it's violated, it has to be re-earned. I get that. So this is not about gullibility, but this is about saying to this person, you know what, I trust you. I assume that you're not trying to hurt me here. I assume that you're not trying to do me bad. I assume that you have my best interest in mind, and so I'm going to trust you in those ways. It believes the best about the other person. It's not suspicious and it's not cynical. It's taking somebody at his word. And that's dangerous. I get that. But it's like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to give you my trust you know, hopes that you don't get burned. But that's what love does. All right, let's see here. Anybody else want to help me out? All right, Nicole, yes. All right, we'll give you one here. Okay, hopeful. The idea here is simply this, that in this relationship, I continue to hope that it's going to be good. That as we go forward, we're going to continue to be friends, that we're going to continue to care about each other, that we're going to, this is going to be a meaningful, this is a, a relationship that I can look forward to, that when you walk in the room, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad you're here. That in the future, this relationship will continue to go on and will continue to get better. All right, there's one more here, Kara. You're going to come up and help me? Awesome. I was hoping you would. And you'll have to remind me of your name. Paisley. Paisley, all right. Paisley, you can hold that right here. We'll sneak you in right there. That's good. So love is also persevering. It simply means this. It refuses to give up. You know what? Relationships sometimes go through tough times, don't they? Marriage relationships, family relationships, even church relationships can go through tough times. But we refuse to give up. And every time we work through a hard time, what happens? That bond is strengthened. And this is what love does. Love says, you know what? What's on the other side of this is worth working through. And I refuse to give up. And when we get all of that put together, Paul says, hey, you know what you got here? You've got a love that's never going to fail. Thanks, guys, for helping me out. You can have a seat. You can take those with you. That's fine. <clears throat> Let me just finish up here this morning with, with some conclusions here of how love actually shows. Six things to think about, and we'll make these quick. First of all, love is not a feeling. And sometimes we talk about, oh, I just feel so much love for this person. Well, you may. It may involve a feeling, and it may not, because love is not a feeling at its core. And sometimes, like, I could never love that person. We're talking about the fact that I could never feel loving about that person. It's not a feeling. But it does involve feelings. And it may involve this feeling we call love. It may involve a feeling that we might call concern or a feeling that we might call compassion or it might involve a feeling that we might call empathy. It does involve feelings, but it's not just a feeling. There's more to it than that. Secondly, though, love is not an action. And sometimes we hear that, well, you know what? Love is not a feeling, it's an action. And it doesn't matter how you feel about that person. You just go do what you're supposed to do because it's an action. Love may involve feelings, and love should involve actions, but it's not actually an action. And that's actually what Paul is talking about here. He's like, hey, you know what? You can have these gifts, and these gifts are serving. They're active, but you're not loving. The action doesn't match up here. You have to have love, and then that love may show up 
in an action there. It may express itself there in an action. So the difference here is we have a tendency to say, you know what, if I do right by this person, I love this person. It's if I love this person, I'll do right by this person. And there is a difference there. Love is not just a feeling. It's not just an action. What love is, is love is more of a posture. Love is this posture where I see people as people with needs. I see people as people who are broken. I see people as people who need grace. I see people with needs. Where we have a tendency to say, I love people because of what they are. This changes the playing field to I love people because of who they are, and because of who they are, because of what they need. So sometimes, like, I could never love that person because I don't like what that person gives me. But the idea here is I can love this person because what does this person need? I realize this person's acting this way, but what is the need that maybe that's even masking? And so love becomes this posture where I love you because you are a broken person like I am, and I actually want to give you what I'm hoping to get back in return here. It's a posture. Love then becomes a motive. It becomes the reason that I act. It's the reason that I move towards another person. And we could say it this way then. Love is an initiative. Love goes first. It doesn't wait doesn't wait till the person does something nice for me. doesn't wait till the other person is good enough. doesn't work till the other person gets his junk together. It doesn't wait. Love goes first, and it realizes that there's risks in that, but it's willing to take the risks because love is an initiative. And then finally, I would say this, that love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. We can't love on our own. When we do re-engage, the first chapter that we start with is about love. And the first point in the first chapter is that the kind of love that we need to give to our mate is not possible for us humanly to give. We have to get that from God and give it from God to our mates. That's true in every relationship in life. We can't love people as we need to love people without God's help in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit is love First of all, and so we're going to need the Holy Spirit to help in our lives. And so as we talk about the Holy Spirit, the fruit, love, we start there. The gifts come, but we start with the fruit of the Spirit because that's most important. And so Paul writes this love poem. But what I want to do this morning is I want to take us back to the old love meter there. And I want all of us to put our hands on that thing. And I want us to squeeze for a minute to see how far up the little light bulb goes in your love. So here's the question. How patient are you? Do you allow for imperfections? How kind are you? Do you always speak and act with gentleness and courtesy? How much do you appreciate the good fortune of others? How often do you need to be the hero? How often are you impressed or absorbed with yourself? How sensitive are you to the needs of others, how sensitive are you are to the sensitivities of others. How often do you ask yourself what's best for the other person? How quick are you to let go and move on? How much do you cheer for and not against? Do you keep things private and where they should be? Do you assume the best about other people? Do you receive your relationships as good and getting better and being hopeful in that way? How committed are you to hanging in there. 
That's Paul's poem. It's a question, how much do you love? What's your answer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the fact that we are put in these relationships. We're also grateful for the fact that you give us wisdom of how to conduct ourselves in these relationships. And so we come to you, Father, and I pray that you would convict us in these areas where we need to show more love. I pray that you would encourage us, though, to just be that person that loves. And God, I pray that you just bring people into our lives and people into our minds who, who need to be loved and help us to be that person. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We ask this at every service, but the greatest love is, is Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Have you experienced his love and asked him into your life? I invite you to do that this morning. We'll talk about just a little bit more here. And then the second question, though, is like, what do you need to do with this? God's word speaks to us. God's spirit speaks to us, not so that we can just hear, but so that we can be changed. What is this aspect of love that you need to take and put into practice in your life today and this week? God, give us the courage to go after the things that we need to work on. Give us the openness to be filled with your spirit so that we can become loving people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to finish our service this morning by taking a look at, at communion. And uh, let's do this. Kids, can you find your parents? They're going to be here somewhere. We're going to let you go find your parents and sit with them here. And kids are welcome to participate in this. In fact, we wanted them to be part of the communion service here as we finish up this morning. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, is we celebrate it because uh, at Jesus' uh, the Last Supper, Jesus said, do this till I come. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we pause from time to time as a church to say, okay, we need to remember what Jesus Christ did. But what is it that we remember about what Jesus Christ did? Well, he loved us enough to give up his life for us. Let me read from John 15. I'm going to start reading at verse number 9. I have loved you, this is Jesus speaking. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And hear Jesus speaking to you. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And then notice this verse. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. What Jesus does is he takes everything we just talked about and he just raises a notch and says, you know how much I love you guys? As, as the disciples gathered around his table, I love you enough to lay down my life for you. And as we come this morning, church, to communion, this is a reminder of what love really is. Where Jesus says, I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you. I love you so much, I will give my life. And so I invite you to come this morning to celebrate the love of Jesus Christ. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we invite you to come. Uh, there's two cups here that are stacked, so you can just grab them both. Sometimes that gets a little confusing. We're going to start with the outside sections. And if you start to the outside... 
You know, let's search you to the inside, pick up your elements, and then go back to the outside. And then once they've all cleared, those of you in the center, if you'll start this way and come by and then go back down this aisle, that will work well. And if you need to have somebody come get an element for you, that's certainly understood. But we invite you to come as we celebrate the love of Christ. So outside sections. <laughs>